the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy is opening to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3. He's speaking to a congregation. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, plural, richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. Notice one another. There's something collective and corporate going on here that's happening in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We sing, we pray, we fellowship, and we hear the Word of God. Today on Know the Truth, we're discovering why singing is an irrepressible response to God's life-giving Word. Our teacher, Philip DeCourcy, explains that as we take in the truths of Scripture, songs of joy flow from our hearts to God. We're continuing the Total Grace series, a study that celebrates the power of God's grace to save us and to fill our hearts with song. The entire series is archived online at ktt.org. Now let's join Philip for today's message titled, Join the Song. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. We're in the middle of a series called Total Grace. And we've been looking at the gem of God's grace and the different facets to God's gracious work in each of our lives. And we've looked at saving grace in Ephesians 2. We've looked at strengthening grace in Hebrews 4. We've looked at serving grace in Romans 12. We've looked at speaking grace in Colossians 4 and begin to look at singing grace. God gives us grace to sing. We sing of grace because of grace. When a man or a woman experiences the grace of God, they not only want to talk about it, they want to sing about it. Doesn't David tell us that in Psalm 40 verse 3, having spoken about how God redeemed his life? He says that God has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Listen, God is too great, His love is too wonderful, and His grace is too amazing for you and I simply to talk about it. We want to sing about it. That's why wherever you find Christians, you'll find singing. We sing of grace because of grace. And as the Word of Christ dwells in a Christian's heart richly, it produces in them a song where they sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in their hearts to the Lord. Psalm 119 verse 54 says, Your statutes have become my song. See, as you and I study the Bible and the Word of God does its work in our lives it produces worship. We move from the Word to worship. 
That's where we're at in our text. So let's come and look at the text regarding the grace of singing or singing with grace. We're going to see singing and the scriptures. We're going to see singing and the saints. And we're going to see singing and the Savior. But here's the first part, singing and the scriptures. There's a correlation between us singing and worshiping God and an intake of God's word. Your statutes have become my song. Look at the text. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Let's look at this phrase, the word of Christ. Now in its narrow and historic interpretation, we may want to limit this to the writings of the apostles in the gospels, where they write down and record the things that Jesus said and did. Jesus told them, didn't he, in the upper room discourse, John 14, 26 and John 16, verse 13, that the Spirit of God would help them write down an accurate record of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's a narrow interpretation. I think there's a broader interpretation that doesn't do injustice to that thought, but just widens it and broadens it. And it's the idea that this phrase, the Word of Christ, embraces the whole of the Bible the whole of the Bible. I like what Derek Tidball says in his commentary on Colossians. He says this, The word of Christ refers to the teaching of Christ, which we have recorded for us in the Gospels. But a full understanding of the teaching of Christ can only be obtained by reading the Gospels in the context of the Old Testament, which leads up to them, and the rest of the New Testament, which leads away from them. In other words, this is shorthand for speaking about the whole of the Bible with a special emphasis on the words of Jesus living in us. See, the Old Testament leads up to the Gospels and the book of Acts and the epistles and the Revelation, they flow out of the Gospels. So I think when we read here about the Word of Christ, we're dealing with the whole of the Bible in relation to the message of God's love in Jesus Christ. I've said it before, in the Old Testament, He is coming. In the Gospels and in Acts, He has come. In the Epistles, in Jude, and in the Revelation, He's coming again. The Bible is a hymn book. It's an H-I-M book. It's about Him. In fact, didn't Jesus reiterate this on the road to Emmaus when a couple of His disciples are at a loss to understand the seeming loss of Jesus Christ by death on a cross? And Jesus comes to them. He opens their eyes. He talks with them along that road. And he helps them understand that this needed to happen. And in Luke 24, 25 to 27, you've got those well-worn and well-known words. And beginning at Moses, that's the Pentateuch, and the Psalms and the prophets, he spoke of those things concerning himself and how he needed to suffer. In John 5, 39... He talks about the Scriptures and how they speak of Him. When Paul writes to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, he talks about how he has known the Scriptures from he was a child, which has been able to make him wise unto salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is the Scriptures Timothy heard. And those Old Testament Scriptures had the Gospel in them. So the Word of Christ here in a narrow sense, speaks of the words of Christ recorded in Scripture. But I think in a broader sense, it's the whole of the Bible. 
The Old Testament leads up to the Gospels, and then the Epistles and the Revelation come out of the Gospels. Let's look at this other phrase, dwell in you richly, as we're just trying to get our heads and hands around the text. Let the Word of Christ, let the Word of God, let the Bible, let the Scriptures dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Literally, let the Word of God take up residence in your life. This word dwell is a domestic word. It means to make a home, to settle down. And so this is what we're being told here. Let the Word of God, through the preaching of that text, take residence in your heart. May the Scriptures find a ready-made home in your heart. It speaks about the fact that a Christian is someone who's always hospitable to the Word. That's what is being taught here. In fact, that's echoed, isn't it, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5 and 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, as Paul describes how the gospel took root in the city of Thessalonica in Greece. He says this in verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Listen, and you became followers of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. In fact, he pays them a great compliment down in chapter 2 and verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. And again, this is a description of a New Testament Christian. The New Testament Christian, the follower of Jesus Christ, is a man or a woman who welcomes the opportunity to hear the Word and then welcomes the Word heard. That word welcome, it speaks about welcoming somebody warmly into your home. And when you're excited about someone coming to your home, either a friend or a family member, you know they're coming. When the bell rings or the door is wrapped, you open it, and what do you normally Come on in! We've been waiting for you. You've been looking forward to this. The cattle's on. Sit down. Come on in. That's our word. Paul is saying, you know what I give thanks to God for? This cost you. You received this in much affliction. But when you heard the word of God, you welcomed it. You said to God's word, come on, come on in to my life. Teach me and transform me. That's what's going on in this text. Now, I want to turn the text in a particular direction because I want you to understand that we probably hearing this text as an individual. And right now, you and I are thinking about a chair somewhere in our home, a little cubby hole maybe where we get alone with the Lord, with our Bible open, and we're pouring over the Scriptures, and we're allowing it to speak to us, and it's prompting us to speak to God. That's the image, personal devotions, and that's a good thing. But that's not primarily in Paul's mind. Because the word you here is in the plural. Let the word of Christ dwell in you all, if you were from Alabama. Or usins, if you were in Northern Ireland. Let the word of Christ dwell in you all, richly. 
He's speaking to a congregation. And you know what? I think you can tell that by looking at the text again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, plural, richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. Notice one another. There's something collective and corporate going on here, something congregational that's happening in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your, plural, your hearts to the Lord. So I want you to understand that right now this text is being addressed to a congregation of people. The picture here is not personal devotion. It is not your quiet time. The picture here is corporate worship in the church on the Lord's day with the assembly of the saints. Where, according to Ephesians 4, in the best of circumstances, among that congregation will stand men gifted to the church by the risen Christ who are gifted to teach, able to teach. Men who labor in the word and doctrine. And the church assembles to hear those men and to let that word dwell, take residence in their hearts. So what we have here is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is a message to listen intently and receive personally and live out practically what you hear from gifted teachers in the church. In fact, this text justifies what we're doing right now where we sing, we pray, we fellowship, and we hear the Word of God. It's as simple as that. It's unvarnished, although beautiful. Because preaching dominated the New Testament worship service. I'm convinced of that. I want to convince you of that. Look at a few texts. I mean, we have in the book of Acts a kind of record of how the early church you know, congregated and rolled. In Acts chapter 2 and in verse 41 and 42, we read of what happened to those who received the word and were baptized, the 3,000 souls that were added to the church. What did they do? Did they all scatter into their own little corner? No, it says, and they corporately together continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the preaching of apostolic doctrine. Because In the text before, Peter had exhorted them and testified to them in many words, and they received the word. And the people who received the word wanted more of the word. They wanted to welcome it more into their lives. And so they got together and they continued and devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. We come together, we break bread, we fellowship, we pray, And we devote ourselves to the apostles' doctrine as the word is proclaimed. Remember that incident in Acts chapter 6 where, you know, the church is kind of being overrun. It's trying to catch up with the needs that need to be met. The widow's fund here has been poorly administered. The apostles are being drawn into a growing controversy. And they say, look, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It's not that that's beneath us since we follow the one who washed people's feet. It's not that that's beneath us. It's just that's not the best use of our time or our talent. So here's what we're going to do. You guys, you know, get yourself seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and appoint them over this business. But notice verse 4, but we ourselves will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Read the New Testament. Push open the door into a New Testament service, and at the heart of it is the ministry of the Word, a devotion to apostolic doctrine, a hearing of the Scriptures. 
In fact, in chapter 6, verse 7, you have one of several summary statements as Luke tells you what was the catalytic factor in the growth of the church. And we read in verse 7, Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. It was the word of God proclaimed that produced disciples. One other text would be Acts chapter 10, verse 33. Acts chapter 10, verse 33. I love it. It's the conversion of Cornelius, the Greek. And there are some in his household to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to come because they want to hear more. And in Acts 10, verse 33, so I sent to you, that's Cornelius speaking of Peter, so I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Love that. We're all here, Peter. They start speaking. Start teaching what God has commanded. And that's just a sample. Read it for yourself. It'll appear everywhere. When you go looking for it, you'll find it. The ministry of the Word defined and directed the life of the church. Can I add another argument on top of that? I mean, when you read something like First and Second Timothy and Titus, which are pastoral manuals for young leaders in the early church, you're going to see an emphasis on preaching as their primary calling and role. The pastoral office is primarily a teaching office. What did Jesus say to Peter? Feed my sheep. And when Paul's talking to Timothy, he describes the Christian leader in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 6. And the emphasis is on the character of the man. And there's only one emphasis on his ability and his giftedness, but I want you to see what the emphasis is. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, that man who's going to have oversight of God's people must be able to teach. Because the early church service was a teaching service. What do we read in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13? Timothy, give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And alongside that would come an exposition. And by the way, that's a throwback to synagogue worship. I mean, look at the Gospels and look at the book of Acts. Jesus goes into the synagogue in Luke 4, and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah. He reads it, and then he explains that he's the fulfillment of it. Because The reading of the law and the exposition of the law was part of the synagogue worship service. In Acts 9, verse 20, you'll read this interesting text about Paul and what he does in synagogues. Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues, plural, that he is the Son of God. Paul was given an opportunity to preach in the synagogues because in synagogues the Word of God was preached. See him in a Christian service. That's why we see that in the book of Acts. That's why when you read about the pastoral office, you see this emphasis on teaching. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. Those who labor in the word and doctrine are worthy of double honor. When Paul is signing off, saying goodbye in a second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 5, preach the word. I'm just trying to justify what we do. I'm just trying to have you understand that this church is like most Protestant churches where the pulpit is central. This is here central because it's conveying a message. The ministry of the Word is central. The Word leads to worship. 
It is the Word that informs us about God. It's the Word of Christ that teaches us the gospel. As we come to understand it and experience it and enjoy it, we want to praise that which we enjoy, which starts with being informed through the Scriptures. But the Word leads to worship, preaching leads to praise, and Scripture leads to song. Amen? That's what we're arguing here. Preaching and teaching God's Word was not an intrusion into the worship service of the early church, but rather an indispensable part of it. Is there not something wrong with us today? Are we not putting ourselves into reverse gear when in evangelical church after evangelical church, we are removing the pulpit, we are shortening the sermon? What is going on with us? Let the Word dwell in you, the congregation, richly in wisdom. And in having heard it, teach one another and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. In the New Testament, the worship of God was always a response to the Word of God. In the New Testament, worship was a pulpit-driven experience. Worship was more about opening your ears than it was about closing your eyes and raising your hands. Singing is an echoing of Scripture. Preaching was not only a crucial part of worship, it created more worship. I like what Spurgeon says here. There is no worship of God that is better than the hearing of a sermon. I venture to say that if a sermon be well heard, it puts faith in exercise as you believe it. It puts love in exercise as you enjoy it. It puts gratitude in exercise as you think of all the blessings that God has given you. If the sermon be what it should be, it stirs all the coals of fire in your spirit and makes them burn with a brighter flame. That's why our Protestant forefathers and our evangelical forebrothers believed that when you came to that point where the Word of God was preached, you'd come to the high point of the worship service. In fact, if we, if we have done anything wrong, perhaps we should preach first and sing later because it's the Word of Christ dwelling in us richly that produces these songs where we sing about God's grace in our hearts to the Lord. I like also what David Garland says, and we need to hear it in the melee of worship wars and the compromise that's going on in our churches today. The worship of the early Christians placed a premium on the spoken word in contrast to perfunctory rituals or mysterious ceremonies. The New Testament service was simple, unvarnished, It didn't require cathedrals. It didn't require candles. It didn't require vestments and robes. It didn't require lights to be dimmed and atmospheres to be created. It needed a man filled by the Spirit of God, an appointed leader among the people of God, standing among them, declaring the Word of God. And as they listened and responded and allowed the Word of Christ to dwell in them richly, discipleship took place, worship ascended to God, and the gospel spread. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy on Know the Truth. Today's message explains how the scriptures produce praise and song. All the messages in the current Total Grace series are online at ktt.org. At Know the Truth, we hope you'll remember that it's your generosity that allows us to plan, produce, and distribute each daily broadcast. It's your forward thinking that makes it possible for men and women to hear the truth of God's Word shared clearly and boldly by Philip DeCourcy. And today, you can add your voice, your support, when you become a truth ambassador. 
Truth Ambassadors stand up and sign up to make a monthly recurring donation to keep Know the Truth on the air. Join this dedicated team of friends when you visit us online at ktt.org. Or let one of our friendly volunteers assist you when you call 888-644-8811. And when you give, you'll be one of the first to receive the book, Grace-Focused Optimism by C.L. Chase. This book is bursting with encouragement as the author explains the many dimensions of grace. Let this book give you a biblical perspective that will bolster your heart with confidence and hope. Philip will be referring to this resource throughout our Total Grace series, so ask for Grace-Focused Optimism when you become a monthly Truth Ambassador or when you give a one-time gift to know the truth. Your gifts make it possible for us to touch the lives of people in your community and around the world. Donate online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. And if you prefer to send your donation by mail, write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And from all of us at Know the Truth, we're glad you joined us today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back tomorrow for more about God's total grace, the grace that makes us sing. We're learning more about the power of song Tuesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Selfless service is the guiding principle that drives Army National Guard soldiers to be always ready whenever disaster strikes. They are your next-door neighbors and your colleagues in schools, offices, and factories. To be a Guard soldier is to stand ready to serve at all times for family, for community, and for country. To learn more, log on to NationalGuard.com or contact an Army National Guard recruiter in your area. Sponsored by the D.C. Army National Guard. Aired by the Maryland, D.C., Delaware Broadcasters Association at this station. The next time you could use a pick-me-up, head over to Godvine.com for uplifting and inspirational videos that you'll truly love. Join the millions of Christians from around the world who watch and share Godvine videos each day. They know that Godvine videos are specially chosen to bring joy and share the love of God and the wonder of His creations. For the very best Christian videos, visit us today at Godvine.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.